of St. Benedict, chapter the 36th, the infirmis patribus of the sick brethren. Before all things and above all things, cares to be had of the sick, that they be served in very deed as Christ himself. For he hath said, I was sick, and he visited me. And what ye have done unto one of these little ones, ye have done unto me. And let the sick themselves remember that they are served for the honour of God, and not grieve the brethren who serve them by unnecessary demands. Yet must they be patiently borne with, because from such as these is gained a more abundant reward. Let it be therefore the abbot's greatest care that they suffer no neglect, and let a cell be set apart by itself for the sick brethren, and one who is God-fearing, diligent, and careful be appointed to serve them. Let the use of baths be allowed to the sick as often as may be expedient, but to those who are well, especially to the young, let it be granted more seldom. Let the use of flesh meat also be permitted to the sick, and to those that are very weakly, for their recovery. But when they are restored to health, let all abstain from meat in the accustomed manner. The abbot must take all possible care that the sick be not neglected by the seller or servers, because whatever is done amiss by his disciples is laid to his charge. But thou, Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. St. Benedict, following St. Basil and St. Augustine, places care of the sick before all things and above all things. It's remarkable that he uses uh, the expression ante omnia et super omnia. One finds comparable expressions in chapter 4, where St. Benedict enjoins us to prefer nothing to the love of Christ. And in chapter uh, 43, where he says, let nothing then be preferred to the work of God. St. Benedict gives five dispositions for the care of the sick, and these are based on perennially sound principles of the art of healing. We shall see if Thomas agrees with St. Benedict's five principles. One, a suitable place must be set apart for the sick. He says, let a cell be set apart by itself for the sick brethren. Two, the personnel are to be carefully chosen. St. Benedict says, one who is God-fearing, diligent, and careful. Three, the use of therapeutic baths is permitted. St. Benedict says, let the use of baths be allowed to the sick as often as may be expedient. Four, provision is to be made for a suitable diet. He says that the use of flesh need also be permitted to the sick and to 
those who are very weakly for their recovery. And five, the abbot is charged with the direction of the infirmary. The abbot must take all possible care that the sick be not neglected by the cellarer or servers, because whatever is done amiss by his disciples is laid to his charge. So there you have the five principles. St. Benedict puts in place a structure that even today can serve as a blueprint for an effective clinic or hospital with its building, medical personnel, specialized therapeutic services, dietary questions, and general direction. I think, Dunfin, uh, we saw a, a marvelous example of um, Catholic health care when we visited the clinic in Malétroit. Uh, the clinic in Malétroit uh, cares for the whole person, body and soul. Um, and the whole atmosphere in the clinic is bright and cheerful and one might even say prayerful. You don't hear all of the uh, noise and distractions that one hears in secular hospitals. It's quite a, uh, it's a place of great peace. And whenever I read this chapter on the care of the sick, I think of the cleanliness and order and beauty of the clinic uh, at Malétroit, which, which draws from the surrounding population. And people queue up uh, to be looked after in, in the clinic of the the sons of St. Benedict have a long tradition of cultivating the medical sciences and arts. Even though the care of the sick, before all things and above all things, is the responsibility of the abbot and of the fathers and brothers appointed to this charge, no one in the monastery is dispensed from looking after an infirm brother with solicitude, kindness, and sympathy. I do not mean by this that anyone may interfere in the care of the sick brother, giving advice, oh, do this, don't do this, prescribing remedies, have you tried this, have you not tried that, don't do this. No. That's being a, a busybody. I mean rather that everyone ought to be attentive and quick to help the brother who is infirm, fatigued, or unable to keep up with the rhythm of the community. The monk who is sick or fatigued must never be allowed to become isolated. Isolation is far worse uh, than the, the infirmity. No one is dispensed from visiting a brother brought low by infirmity. For our Lord says, I was sick and you visited me. Visits to the Blessed Sacrament, on the one hand, but visits to the sick brother, on the other. One should make it a practice to visit a sick brother at least once a day. It is not necessary to prolong the visit. It is enough to look in on the brother, to ask him if he needs anything, and to give him news of the community. When a brother is prevented by illness, from coming to the daily chapter or recreation, he can begin to feel alienated from the life of the house. If a sick brother
brother cannot come to the community, the community must go to him. One brother at a time, taking care all the same, not to fatigue the brother, nor to serve his rest. Many years ago when I was ill, some of you this, and suffering from a high fever, the good father infirmarian looked after me with a mother's tenderness. It's Father Thomas who died last May 13th. I remember him saying, a sick monk should never be made to miss the care of his mother. That was his uh, principle as infirmarian in the monastery. He lifted me out of bed. He placed me in a comfortable chair and replaced all the crumpled bed linen soaked with perspiration with fresh clean bed linens before helping me back into bed. And he did this as often as necessary until the fever subsided. It's marvelous maternal solicitude. Very often a sick brother needs help keeping his cell tidy. When visiting a sick brother should always offer to return trays and crockery and glasses to the kitchen. One can always offer to empty a sick brother's dustbin, ask if he needs clean towels, return books to the library for him, and attend to his laundry. It is perfectly acceptable also to offer a sick brother uh, little treats, uh, provided that one has first obtained the infirmarian's permission to do so. The sick brother is a real presence of Christ in the monastery. Our declarations, number 97, make this clear. We read, the community for their part will show their sick brethren the most tender compassion in both word and deed, believing that save in the most holy sacrament of the altar, our Lord is nowhere more present in the monastery than in the person of a monk brought low by infirmity, the monks will treat him with the greatest charity, making allowance for his weaknesses and bearing his burdens. As for the sick themselves, they must not become self-absorbed, self-centered, um, closed in on themselves. They must not take advantage of the love shown them by becoming capricious. I want this, I don't want this, I must have this. Cranky and demanding. If the sick are served with tenderness and reverence, it is for God's sake. It is easy for a sick brother to begin to see himself as the center of the universe, to become self-absorbed and anxious over many things. The brother who falls into these faults has lost sight of the meaning of his monastic oblation. By baptism, as by virtue of his monastic profession and consecration, the monk is a victim. That is, one united to the immolated Lamb, and with him, made over to God in sacrifice. The vocabulary of victim and victimhood belong, belongs to the liturgy of the Church, the Lex Orandi, wherein it is applied to all the baptized 
insofar as they are united to Christ, the Lamb, in the mystery of the sacrifice. A victim, in the traditional liturgical sense of the term, is not one to whom something bad has happened. A victim is a sacrificial offering placed upon the altar whence it ascends to God. We pray, for instance, in the secret of the votive Mass of Jesus Christ, the eternal High Priest, O Lord, may Jesus Christ, our Mediator, render these offerings acceptable to Thee, and may He present us with Himself as victims agreeable to Thee. Among living with chronic illness will find a serene joy in the midst of suffering once He begins to place Himself with our Lord on the altar of His sacrifice. Then He will be caught up in the immense movement out of self and into the infinity of God, to which the priest invites the people in every holy mass, susum cor, hearts on high. The monk who accepts his illness in the light of the holy sacrifice of the mass will begin to see his sick room as a sanctuary, his bed as an altar, and himself as an oblation, a sacrificial victim in the hands of Christ the priest. Illness, weakness, and fatigue, be they physical or mental or both at the same time, can become life-giving when infused with the dispositions of the heart of Jesus, priest and victim in his passion and in the sacrament of his love that is his passion's abiding memorial. I could say much more about this uh, chapter, De Infilis Fratibus. One could almost give a retreat on this uh, chapter, going through it line by line. Uh, of course, uh, the care of the sick uh, it has always been a characteristic of Benedictine monastic life, and Along with that, um, the development of uh, monastic pharmacies and uh, herb gardens and the preparation of medicines and remedies and the development of all kinds of therapies, all of this took place in the cloister. And some of you are familiar with St. Hildegard, who was not only um, a mystic, a musician, poet, but also in her own right, uh, certainly um, a, kind of, a kind of physician. She went to a great length to study the, the benefits of various remedies, and her monastery became a center, a kind of a therapeutic center, a dispensary uh, for, for people uh, from near and far. And even today, 